Maybe if I keep my head pressed hard enough against this train window, I'll be able to shake some sense into it. Some answers. Like, why? Why am I out here in California, where I never wanted to be, with another man's thousand bucks in my pocket, heading for a rendezvous with a guy I've never seen, to do a job I never thought I'd be doing? A job of murder. I guess it goes back to my lousy luck. My losing streak. Yeah, with some guys, it's booze they can't handle. With me, it's gambling. Mr. Nile. <laughs> How nice you come to see me. Yeah, I got your invitation. I see you did. You can let go of him now, Sully. It's going to cost you where this hippo of yours tore my suit. Oh, I'll deduct it from what you owe me, Harry. Yeah, very funny. You can go now, Sully. All right, what do you want, Corio? Well, I want my money, Harry. You'll get it. You'll get it just as soon as I get it. I'm good for it. You know that. No, you're not. Not anymore. Listen, I've been one of your oldest and best customers. Oldest, yes. But Corio's as a rule, Harry, we pay when you win. You pay when you lose. I won't lie to you, Corio. My collections have been lousy lately. I'm still waiting to get paid for a divorce job I did ten months ago, and two runaways still owe me from summer. What are you going to do? Then you shouldn't gamble when you haven't got it to lose. I know it. You will know. All right, Corio, lay it on the line. You going to make small talk all night, or do you want to spell out what you have in mind? Not to begin with, Nile, I don't like your attitude. You're not a cocksure private dick to me. To me, you're just a deadbeat. Look, I intend... I let you get into me for more than eight grand. You never would have got that far if I hadn't trusted you. But you betrayed me, Nile. And nobody betrays Vito Corio. Nobody. Okay, so where do we go from here? You're going to have Hippo stomp on me? What's that going to get you? Well, I'm a practical man, Harry. I could have you killed. But that wouldn't get me my money. I'll get you the money. I'll pay it back on the on the installment plan, like buying a frigid air. Amusing, Harry. You won't be seeing $8,000 all year long. Besides, you might even be drafted. <laughs> They're talking about it. Well... I'll do the best I can. Which won't be good enough. Try me. I've tried you. You're a loser. I had a streak. That's all. Shut up, Harry. From now on, you're doing what I tell you to do. Nobody tells me. I'm telling you because I own you. And now I'm telling you what you're going to do. You're going to do a job for me, Harry. A job that's worthy of your uh, uh, talents. And when you've done the job, I erase the debt. I, uh... I don't think I want to work for you. You haven't got any choice. Corio, the only kind of job you'd pay eight grand for is something I won't do. Oh, you'll do it all right. It's a gun job, right? Laid out easy for you. No, Corio. You'll be saving the state of California an electric bill. California? Hey, I like it here in Chicago. The target is a very bad man, Harry. I won't kill for you. If you know him, you might even enjoy the job. I won't kill for you. Yes, you will, Harry. We'll argue and you'll shoot off your mouth at me, but it'll end up that you'll be taking the Santa Fe for Los Angeles tonight. But when you get to L.A., you'll find him and do it, just like I'm telling you. Because if you don't, now that you know I'm ordering a man's death, I'll have you killed. How's that going to get you your money back? Oh, I don't expect my money back. I expect to get something for my $8,000, and you're going to get it for me. I want this job done with some finesse. I want it never to get traced back to this organization. It's got to look accidental. You're very good at details, Harry. Hey, 
You're afraid of this guy. Accidental, remember? Who is he? It's all written out for you, Harry. In this envelope. Come on, take it. Open it. Well, you, you mean now? Now. Now read it. Memorize it. Simon Adler? Adler. Business address, Adler Importing Company, 311 West Pico Boulevard, Los Angeles. Residence, 92 Mariposa Canyon Road, Los Angeles. I, I never heard of it. What does he import? Nothing. It's a front. What he really does is he's getting control of the movie industry, the theaters. He's almost as big already as Fox West Coast. He's like an octopus, Harry. You sign up with Adler and you play the pictures he sends you. Pictures he owns. Made with actors he owns. Lousy pictures. But you either play them or some night your movie house burns down. Sounds like a good racket. What is it to you? Because Adler's coming east. So? Some detective you, uh... I happen to own 20 theaters in this town. What? Not in my name, but they're mine. I'm not going to bump off some racket here. I personally killed three people. A theater manager in Westwood and a projectionist and an old lady in a fiery set in Highland Park. He's nothing but a torpedo, Harry. He can't be touched by the law. They think he's too smart. Well, maybe he owns someone. But he's going to be stopped. Now, what's his name? Simon Adler. Business address. Pico, uh, uh, Pico Boulevard, uh, 311 West Pico. Home address. 92 Mariposa Canyon Road. Good. Give me that paper. And this is his picture. He's tall and bald. Don't ever forget that face. I don't care how you do it. Only make it look like an accident. Now, here's another envelope. This one you keep. Tickets on the 11 o'clock train tonight. First class accommodations. The hotel you're going to stay in, also first class, with a phone in the room. I want to know how to get in touch with you. Also, a thousand bucks expense money. You, uh, you had this all made up. Oh, I was sure you'd go for it. I mean, look at it this way. Your doctor ordered you to go west for your health. And <laughs> I'm the doctor. Yeah, Corio. You're the doctor. <laughs> The Golden West Radio Network presents Crisis. Tonight, a special one-hour presentation of Crisis and a story of suspense and intrigue featuring Phil Harper entitled West for My Health. We continue after this brief message. Two nights ago, I'm Harry Nile, private investigator. Now I'm Harry Nile, paid assassin. Why didn't I go to the police and tell them the whole thing? Because Corio would have had me killed, and there isn't any place to hide from a guy in his organization. We go through a station marked Ontario, and it makes me think of Canada, which makes me think of just getting off one train and onto another and living in Canada for a few years, or Alaska, maybe. But I know it's no good. There's only one way to get Corio off my back, and that's to get Simon Adler off his back. Union Station, Los Angeles. It's December 31st, and I'm sweltering in my overcoat. It's sunny, and people are going around in shirt sleeves and straw hats like the middle of July. I always said anyone who lived out here was crazy. I get my bags, and I tip the red cap by peeling one of the skins off my big bankroll in my pocket. His eyes bulge up like golf balls, and I realize I've given him a ten. You gotta watch that. I don't know how long that grant has to last me or where it's gonna have to take me. Taxi, mister? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Red Cap, put these bags in my truck, will you? Yes, sir. 
Where are you headed? Uh, Biltmore, uh, Biltmore Hotel. Right. From the back of the yellow 1938 DeSoto, I watched the city jiggle by. Somewhere there's a place called Pico Boulevard, and somewhere along that street there's an office with a man in it. A man I have to kill. I try to keep thinking of it as an execution, thinking about the rotten racket he's in and the people he's killed. No matter how I run it over in my mind when I see myself pulling the trigger on Simon Adler, I see myself taking my place along with Adler, plunging head first into the everlasting torment of hell. In fact, I can almost smell the sulfur. You smell that stuff? What? What? That's coming in from Signal Hill, I'll bet you. I hear they just brought in a gusher today. I don't know what you're talking about. Signal Hill's out by the beach. It's an oil field. That smell is from the refineries. Awful, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, who do you like in a bowl game? Well, you got me. Don't you know who to pick? I don't even know what bowl. The Rose Bowl. It's tomorrow. Trojans in Tennessee. I picked USC by 14 points. It's going to be like last year. Last year, USC beat Duke, you know. No, I didn't, but I'll take your word for it. You going to see the game? No. Going to watch the Rose Parade? Over in Pasadena? No. Well, there's always next year. That makes you think I'll be here next year. Well, where would you go? I mean, now. Now that you're here in God's country. My room at the Biltmore looks out over a small park. I stand at the window a long time. Two days on the train in Chicago and Corio seem like a lifetime away, and I feel almost free. Until I undress and take a shower, and I pile Corio's money on my dresser. Oh, well, I think Judas did it for a lot less. And the man I'm going to kill isn't going to be missed or mourned very much. The shower makes me feel better. I like the rich feel of the fresh bath mat beneath my toes. And when my feet are dry, I walk out into the room and I almost fall down. The guy's about 25, making absolutely no effort to hide the shoulder holster strapped over his white shirt. He's sitting on my bed with his coat beside him. Have a nice shower, Mr. Nile. Who the hell are you and how'd you get in? I work for Mr. Corio. He phoned me and said you were going to be in town and told me to look you up. Said I should take uh, really good care of you. Yeah, I get it. Just in case I get any funny ideas about running out before I do my job. Well, gee, I wouldn't know, Mr. Nile. Yeah. I just want to wish you uh, success in your work. Better put some clothes on. Don't want to catch cold. Corio wasn't about to miss any angles. He had me pinned down and now I knew it. Well, all right, no escape. So I figure why prolong the inevitable. On a desk? I want to rent a car. Uh, too late? Yeah, yeah, I know it's New Year's Eve. No, I don't want a chauffeured limousine. Is that all you can do? Okay, never mind. Well, I tried. Corio must know I couldn't nail Adler the first night I'm in town. It's going to take study and research. And the, and the time for that is after January the 1st, 1940, which is now only about seven hours away. McNamee reminding you once again that the University of Southern California has defeated Tennessee 14 to nothing for their second consecutive victory here in the Rose Bowl. The next day was Tuesday. I've been 10 hours without a drink, five days without a game. At this rate, I could become a monk. I get up and I walk down to the lobby, feeling shaky and sick, and alcohol has nothing to do with it. It's the job I'm going to have to do. 
It's the second day of the year, 1940, and Los Angeles is going about its business again. The morning is bright, and I decide to walk until I feel better. Then find a car rental agency and get on about my business. Time's paper. Get your time's paper. Well, after walking about two blocks, I decide I'm not going to feel any better walking, so I buy a paper, and I turn to the ad section, and I find a rent-a-car agency nearby. In a few minutes, I'm driving a new gray Chevy. And in due time, with the help of a city map, I'm on West Pico Boulevard. Traffic is fast and heavy, and the first time I sail right past number 311. It's an ordinary office building, just like hundreds of others. I go around the block. I find a place to park. Ordinarily, a killer wouldn't show his face in the same building where his victim works, but I still don't think of myself as a killer. And besides, I have to get some idea of the layout of his office. The building directory lists the Adler Importing Company on the second floor. It's not such an impressive building. The stairway runs up four or five flights with a skylight at the top, fire escape in the rear. Nice to know if you have to make an exit in a hurry. And there, in black lettering, on an opaque glass door, is the Adler Importing Company. Well, that's funny. Ten past ten, and his office is still locked. And then I remember what Corio said. The Importing Company's on the affront. Maybe Adler never uses the office. I'm tempted to pick the lock, but then I figure I've already taken enough of a chance being seen. Next stop, 92 Mariposa Canyon Road. Adler's house is set back for the road and screened by trees and shrubbery, so that it's impossible to tell if anyone's at home unless you drive down the driveway, which I wasn't about to do. Instead, I used the old burglar's trick. At the nearest payphone, I look up Adler's number, and I ring the house. Hello? Hello, is Mr. Adler there? Who is this calling? Well, this is, uh... This is Mr. Sullivan. I had a 10 o'clock appointment with him this morning at his office. Is uh, something wrong? Then you haven't heard? Beg pardon? Uh, heard what? This is Marna Adler, Mr. Sullivan. My father is dead. What did you say? He's dead. The announcement will be in the papers tonight. Look, Miss Adler, I... I'm sure you understand. I can't talk anymore. Goodbye. For a minute, I stand there with a the receiver to my ear until my head stops spinning. Adler is dead. He's already dead without my having to bump him off. I'm I'm off the case and I'm off the hook. Corio gets what he wanted and I don't have Adler on my conscience. The Chevy has a radio. And on the way back downtown, I find a station with the noon news. B-U-L-O-V-A, Bulletin Watch Time. And here's the noon edition of KMTR News. The body of Los Angeles millionaire Simon Adler was pulled from the ocean off Catalina Island early today after the Adler cruiser exploded off Cherry Point. Adler's companion at the time of the explosion has not been located. Cause of the blast is under investigation. The Los Angeles Board of Equalization was charged today. The Afternoon Herald Express has the full story. Adler and a business acquaintance had seen the new year in at Adler's Catalina hideaway. When they started back for the mainland, the gas tank blew up. The Coast Guard found Adler's body, but the other guy, someone named McIntyre, is still missing. I could just visualize how this story would read to Corio back in Chicago and what he'd think I'd done. I stayed in my room for supper to take the call I was sure would come, and I didn't have long to wait. Hello? Harry? Right. Is that you, Corio? Right. Yeah, I was expecting your call. I understand that a mutual friend of ours has had a tragic accident, Harry. Is this true? Oh, you're one of the mourners, are you? might say that. It was uh, very sudden, wasn't it? I thought you'd be uh, 
impressed. Oh, I am, Harry. Well, Happy New Year, Corio. <laughs> Happy New Year, Harry. Oh, and Harry. Yeah. Maybe your luck is changing. Good night. I lay back on the bed and for the first time enjoyed the best the Biltmore had to offer. Outside the window, searchlights swayed across the sky for some movie premiere, and I felt free for the first time since I got in hock at Corio's. It was the beginning of a new year, a whole new decade, the 40s. Maybe my luck was changing. KECA in Los Angeles, it's 10 p.m. And a good, good evening, everyone. This is your Richfield Reporter. Funeral services will be held Wednesday at Forest Lawn for Simon Adler, millionaire importer who was killed yesterday when his motorboat exploded as he and Elliot McIntyre were returning from Catalina Island. Investigators studying the mysterious explosion. Forest Lawn is a green oasis at the edge of Los Angeles, convenient to the people who die in Burbank, Glendale, and Pasadena. Why did I attend the funeral? Well, I guess I wanted to verify that Adler was dead and this chapter of my life was closed. I couldn't get into the chapel. The service was for the family only. So I waited outside. And as the mourners filed out of the old stone building, I found myself looking for the girl I'd talked to on the phone. Marna, Adler's daughter. Only one woman in the group fitted my mental picture of her, a slender girl in a dark blue dress, matching jacket and a hat. Everyone was crowding around her, consoling her. On the way to the gravesite, I kept far back, watching. There was only one other witness who hung back from the mourners. I got the feeling he was watching me, but I figured it was a cemetery employee, and I forgot all about it. When it was all over, the girl in the dark blue was picked up by a driver in a late-model Lincoln Zephyr. Then I got in the Chevy and followed him. Sure enough, we wound up at 92 Mariposa Canyon Road. I sat in the car out of sight of the house, smoking and thinking. An L.A. police car cruised by twice while I was there, and the cops took a long look at me the second time. So I figured I wasn't too welcome in the neighborhood and was just about ready to start the motor and leave when suddenly the door on my side of the car jerked open. It was the driver of the Lincoln. Okay, get out. Okay, wait a minute. Out! Show me your badge and I'll get out. I don't need a badge. Yeah, I suppose you've got a license to carry that uh, gun. You want a badge? You want a license? There's just no satisfying you, is there? Now get out! I'm getting, I'm getting. Hand me your car keys. Here. Catch. Now that wasn't so bright, was it? Pick them up carefully. Okay. I must say, this is a shabby way to treat a businessman. What kind of business? I don't think that's any of your affair. Look, will you put that thing away? Guns make me nervous, especially when they're pointed at me. Then state your business. That was between Mr. Adler and me. What's your name? Uh, Sullivan. And I'm not in the habit of being interrogated by a... What are you, a chauffeur, a bodyguard? I'm whatever the family needs me to be. What are you doing out here? I was preparing to go up to the house and see if I could offer Miss Adler my condolences. Is that why you were at Forest Lawn? Oh, you saw me at the funeral. You weren't at the funeral. It was a private service. You hung around out by the grave, and then you followed us home. Now, what do you want, Mr. Sullivan? Carl? Carl, did I hear you say Mr. Sullivan? She stood at the entrance to the driveway... Only now she wasn't wearing a hat, and her red hair hung down around her shoulders. I didn't want to alarm you, Miss Adler, but this man followed us home from the cemetery and was parked in front of the house. Mr. Sullivan? That's right. I'm Mona Adler. Please forgive Carl. He's on edge. We all are. I understand. 
Then you remember my phoning yesterday. Of course. Carl, put that ugly gun away. Get it out of my sight. I'm sorry, ma'am. That will be all, Carl. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Carl, my uh, car keys? Yeah, here you go. Carl! Never mind, Miss Danvin. Just a little game we've been playing. See you around, Carl. I hate ugliness. I bet you do. You knew my father. Not well. If you came to pay your respects, I appreciate it. But I'm not going to be home. Oh? I'm an unconventional person, Mr. Sullivan. I'm going to let my soul start healing. Uh, that sounds like a good idea. My father's death has torn my soul. There's only one place on this earth where it can start to heal. Is that so? Why don't you come with me? You look as if you've known the world too well, Mr. Sullivan. I know it pretty well, yes. Come on. Uh, my car is... Uh, uh... Take mine. It's right up the driveway. Uh, Miss Adler... My uh... name is Marna. Call me that. What's your first name? It's uh, it's Harry. Say, uh, where are we going? We're going to bathe, Harry. Did you say... Bathe? We're going to bathe our souls together. We're going to cleanse out the ugliness. Please, Harry, you drive. I've been holding back the tears. I think they're going to come. The third act of tonight's special crisis presentation, West for My Help, will follow in a minute after this time out. And now we return to our story, West for My Help. I guide Myra's big car down from the Hollywood Hills and into the streets of Los Angeles while she cries silently at my side. The only thing she tells me is where and when to turn. But eventually, and all too soon, the ride is over. We pull up beside a big white drum-shaped building with a big sign that says Miracle Tabernacle in blue neon. Marna dabs at her face, runs a comb through her long red hair, and climbs out of the car. Come on, Harry. What is this place? You understand. Come on. Give me your hand. She leads me through a big arched entrance, through a tall pair of French doors, and into a big theater auditorium in white trimmed with gold. The place is jammed with people, and sweat rises like steam in the air. There are terribly fat, terribly thin, terribly crippled people in wheelchairs, on crutches and canes, even on stretchers. But the center of interest from the second you walk in is the elevated pulpit downstage center. Spotlights dazzle on a woman in a long white gown, her arms spread like wings, her blonde hair wound around her head in braids, and her voice holding the whole assembly in its spell. Into this auditorium, here and now, and send his healing powers through the air like electricity. Is this what you meant by bathing our souls? Shh, listen to her. Yes, my dear one. Who has the faith to know that he or she will be healed? You come here often? Oh, yes, all the time. Haven't you heard her on the radio? Uh, no, I think I missed her. I generally listen to Amos and Andy. Shh. And you'd better bring your faith with you because the Lord is looking down on you this very moment. How much money do you have with you? Well, I don't know. Give, Harry. All right, just a second. Give. I'm getting my wallet out. How about a hundred dollars? A hundred dollars? Oh, the spirit has touched you. You, oh, Harry, I love you. you. I really do, do believe the Lord can heal you. Don't you, you. simply bathe in the Spirit? Oh, God yeah. bless you, my dear. 
Rise up out of that wheelchair and walk over here to me. Rise up. Come on. Walk. When the performance ends, Sister Grace makes her exit to the wings and Marna grabs my hand and we run out a side door and down a long hallway until we get to a door marked Private. Is this the sacred dressing room? She'll let us in. Sister Grace, it's Marna. It is you, isn't it, dear? I've brought someone new. Welcome, brother. Come in. Oh, my poor child. I know. They told me. But he's in a far better world now. You must believe that. Oh, I do, Sister Grace. A world without pain, without hunger, without worry. Yes, I know. Oh, Sister Grace, this is a friend of my father's, Mr. Sullivan. How good of you to attend, Sister Marna, in her hour of travail. It's uh, my pleasure, uh, Sister. Now, will you excuse me for just a moment? I must change out of these ceremonial robes. You understand, Mr. Sullivan? These white robes are designated only for the Lord's work. I'll be back in just a moment. Oh, isn't she inspiring? Yeah, I guess you'd say that, yeah. I'll tell her of your generous gift, Harry. It was worth it, believe me. Worth it? Ah, never mind. I guess anyone can get carried away. I don't think I understand. Well, out in the auditorium, when I gave that hundred, you remember what you did? You kissed me. And you liked that? Yeah, I liked it, yeah. I told you I'm an unconventional person. I do what I feel. Yeah, well, I think that's fine. Uh, very healthy. Anytime you feel like uh, doing what you feel, just feel free. Thank you. Um, say, do you feel like having something to eat? Oh, no. Thanks, but not now. Sister Grace will be back in a minute. Well, there's someone out in the hall. Do we let him in? Of course, why not? Uh, if you're looking for Sister Grace, she's changing. She'll be right out. I, I must see her. Yeah, well, I... Uh, come in, brother. Yeah, come in, brother. Uh, thank you. That was just a figure of speech about seeing her. Actually, I can't see anything. Oh, well, it's tough. Uh, how did it happen? I was born blind. Uh, come over here and sit down. Uh, there you go. Uh, thank you. You're very kind. You know, I've listened to Sister Grace and the Miracle Tabernacle on the radio for years, but this is the first time I've ever come here. Uh, my name is Sylvester. Hmm. Hi, Sylvester. How do you do? I'm Harry, and this is Marna. Hello. Well, two young people, how lovely and charming. Hey, you ought to see her, Sylvester. She is lovely. Well, in my own way, I do see her. I see the important part of people without eyes. That's beautiful. Now we can have our little chat. Oh, and whom do we have here? Sister Grace, this is Sylvester. He's listened to your broadcasts for years, and he's here to see you with his heart. I understand. Welcome, Brother Sylvester. Well, it is you, isn't it, Sister Grace? God bless you. Oh, he does, my friend. Indeed, he does. Tell me, what can I do for you? Well, worldly goods have I none, Sister Grace. I understand. We have a wonderful kitchen and dining hall in the basement, Brother Sylvester. We even have a small men's dormitory. Will you partake? God bless you, Sister Grace, but I can't pay you. The Lord pays me handsomely, brother. Marna, will you guide our friend downstairs? Have him registered and given meal tickets and see that he's assigned a bed. Of course. Come along, brother. Well, thank you. I don't know how to thank you.
don't ask a man's religion here. We only ask what he needs, and then we give him all we can. The only thing we ask is that he be honest with us. Sounds fair enough. But you haven't been quite honest, have you? Is that again? Who are you? What's the matter? Don't you like the color of my money, sister? Please don't smoke in here. No, the color of your money doesn't concern me in the least. But when a man uses an assumed name, he is being dishonest. I ask you again, who are you? What makes you think I'm using an assumed name? If you were in the tabernacle for this afternoon's service, you've witnessed that I have certain powers. Oh, you read minds, that it? I read hearts. Oh, okay, hearts. You are not only deceiving Sister Marna. You have entered this tabernacle under false pretenses. But I am willing to forgive all sinners. All you must do is admit your sins. That'd take a long time, Sister Grace. Why don't we just leave it the way it is? I'm Harry Sullivan. You are Harry Nile. Oh, you're very good, Sister Grace. What else? Come on, you must have found out more than that. I'm very disappointed. I had hoped you would volunteer. Okay, I'm a escaped convict. No? All right, I'm Clark Gable. How about Rin Tin Tin? I don't think Marna will be amused. Look, do lady, you? what have you got? A name. Harry Nile. Why is that any more important to you than Harry Sullivan or Harry Smith or Harry Jones Because or... Harry Nile is hiding. Why are you hiding, Mr. Nile? You know, sister, suddenly I don't feel like it's any of your business. If I'm going to confess anything to anybody, it'll be to Marna. You won't be seeing Marna again, Mr. Nile? What's that supposed to mean? Simply that. When Marna learns of your deceit, she won't care to see you again. And you'll take care of that. I think this interview has gone on long enough. You will be welcome in Miracle Tabernacle when you have repented, Mr. Nile, and not before. Gotcha. And now if you'll tell me how to get downstairs, I'll find Marna and get Marna will of... be taken care of by one of us, Mr. Nile. Your responsibility where she is concerned is ended. Not until she ends it, sister. I try not to be superstitious, but somehow the evangelist has gotten to me, and there's a spooky feeling in my head that maybe she knows more than she's saying. I hurry down the hall and find the stairway and head downstairs, looking for Marna. I find the soup kitchen and the dormitory, but she's not there. I run back up and into the main auditorium, but there's only a janitor sweeping out. And then I remember I've got the keys to her car in my pocket. She can't get away without me. I storm out the front through the French doors and then the arches, and then I spot her, sitting in the Lincoln with both hands on the steering wheel, staring straight ahead. It'll run a lot better with these keys. Who are you, Mr. Nile? Sister Grace must have her own telegraph system. Carl checked on you through the car rental agency and phoned the tabernacle. If I could sit down in the car, I'd explain it. Thank you. Okay, I dreamed up the name of Sullivan on the spur of the moment. Actually, it's a name I use a lot, as an alias. An alias? I'm a private investigator, Marna, from Chicago. And I came out here to... Yes... To investigate your father. Investigate him? Why? Oh, it had to do with his company. I can't go into detail. Anyway, it's all over now. When you told me he was dead, that closed the case. Believe me. I told Mr. Sullivan he was dead. Look, I don't blame you for being sore at me. When I phoned, it was just to find out where he was. I didn't expect anyone to... I didn't think I'd ever meet you or, or get to know you. What else don't I know about you? Who hired you to spy on my father? You know I can't divulge your client's name. Thanks for being so upright. Look, it doesn't matter now. The case is closed. My client isn't interested anymore. I'm not working for him anymore. Believe me. You don't believe me. Well, why should you? I lied about my name, lied about what I was doing here. Look, I want to tell you everything. I mean everything. 
then why don't you? Why don't you do what you feel? I think I will. Now, ago, you kissed Harry Sullivan. Now you kissed Harry Nile. And I meant it. I want you to be honest with me, Harry. All right. Let's drive. You drive. I'll talk. All right. Talk to me. Well, I already told you I'm an investigator, and my client in Chicago wanted some information about your father's business. Did you give him the information? How could I? I got in town New Year's Eve, and the next day your dad had his accident. Look, I'm off the case. There is no more case. Your client in Chicago, why was he interested in my father? He was afraid of your father, Martha. Afraid? What kind of business do you think he was in? I don't know. You tell me. Well, it wasn't the import business. You mean you didn't know? Tell me. It was the movie business. He, he owned certain pictures and he controlled a lot of theaters. Why would that have anything to do with a man in Chicago? The man was afraid your father was going to try to take over the Chicago movie business like he was doing in L.A. So we hired you to come out here and stop him? Yeah, more or less. And you'd actually do that? I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. Because you didn't have to. He was already dead. I don't like you anymore, Harry Nile. My client owns a gambling outfit. I had a run of rotten luck, and I wound up owing him a lot more than I could pay. My client isn't a very nice man. It was either come out here and do something very bad or get killed. Kill or be killed? That's about it. Look, Marna, I... You must have done this before, as a private detective. No. It doesn't really matter. I don't think I could ever believe anything you say. From now on. We made the rest of the trip in silence. When we got back to the Adler house on Mariposa Canyon Road, Marna stopped the car outside my Chevy. There were no goodbyes. She just sat there waiting for me to get out. So I did. The lights were coming on as I headed back toward the hotel. Suddenly I hated L.A. Hated Corio. Hated Adler. Hated myself for ever getting suckered into this whole mess. So I turned on the car radio to take my mind off my troubles. Interrupt this broadcast for a local news bulletin from the KMTR newsroom. Los Angeles police have announced a citywide search for a suspect in the death of millionaire Simon Adler, who died in the New Year's Day explosion of his cabin cruiser. It was the first indication that authorities believe foul play may have been connected with the fatality. Now we return you to the music of Larry Clinton coming to you from the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Oh no, my mind starts racing. I have to figure out how this news is going to sound to Corio back in Chicago. He's going to figure the police are after me. And that I could lead him back to him. It all adds up to one thing. I had to get out of town fast. I fight my way through traffic to the Biltmore, hoping to clear out before Corio gets wind of the investigation. I get up to my room, shove the key in the lock, walk in and snap on the lights, and there he sits. The same punk who called on me after my shower two nights before. Close the door, Nile. How do you get in? Under the door? Hold it right there. I'll take the heater. You won't be needing it anymore. You're about to make a real dumb mistake. Uh-uh. You made the mistake. You were sloppy with the way you handled Adler. Corio, don't stand for sloppiness. I was going to call Corio. The police aren't looking for me. I didn't kill Adler. Then you lied to Corio, and you don't like flyers either. Look, friend, there's no way Corio will get involved with Adler's death even if someone did bump him off. Because they can't connect me with it, don't you see? Hey, it's nothing to me whether you croak the guy or not. I'm just taking my orders from Mr. Corio, same as you, only I didn't screw up. Now pack your bag, Mr. Nile. You're checking out. Corio's henchman climbs in beside me in the Chevy and we start through town. 
My empty shoulder holster is filling with sweat, and I try to drive through a red light hoping some cop will pull us over. But the torpedo knows that trick, and he jabs the muzzle of my own automatic into my kidney, so I obey traffic laws to the letter. Mind, uh, telling me where we're going? What do you care? You ain't gonna send any postcards. Look, you gotta let me make a phone call to Corio. If you don't, you're gonna get in trouble with him, I promise you. Hey, it's nice of you to worry about me. But like I said, I'm just following Mr. Corio's orders. Anyway, in a few minutes, all your worries will be over. Isn't that nice? So now I know. Corio has ordered my execution, just like I was afraid he would. So now I figure any chance is worth taking, and I try to come up with something. Anything. All of a sudden, something clicks in my mind. I begin to, to recognize where we are. Only a couple of blocks from Sister Grace's miracle tabernacle. Up ahead, the traffic signal changes to stop, and I make my move. I hit the brakes and I open the door all at the same time and my passenger hits the windshield with his head. I gamble he won't risk a shot at me and in five more seconds I'm around the corner on a side street. But I know he'll be coming after me. I reach the next corner and I turn right and I head up to the Miracle Tabernacle. If I ever needed a miracle, it's now. I make it up to the French doors and they're locked. Let me in! Come on, let me in! Down the street, the gray Chevy comes up alongside the building, and I shrink down until I'm lying on the cement. He cruises by, but he's peering up at the tabernacle. Somehow, he doesn't see me. I'm making enough noise to wake the dead. And then I see a silhouette of someone coming to the door. I'm sorry, brother. We're closed till 8 o'clock tonight. Come on, let me in, old man. I'm a poor, repentant sinner. I leave the janitor staring at me, and I head through the darkened auditorium. There's a green exit light over the side door, and that's what I'm looking for. It opens into a hallway that leads to Sister Grace's dressing room. When I get to the door, I don't even bother to knock. What is the meaning of this? Sister Grace, I told you that I'd come back when I when I repented, and I have. I'm in the middle of my prayers, Mr. Niles. Then say one for me. There's a guy out there who's going to kill me. I don't understand. I'm asking you to hide me, lady. Hide you? I'll tell you all about it later. Hey, who, who's that? Sister Grace. Is everything all right? Your door was open and I heard voices. Yes, yes, Mother Sylvester. Everything is all right. Is that Brother Harry again? I believe it is. You've got a great ear, Sylvester. All right, if I close the door. Brother Sylvester, Brother Harry seems to be in some kind of trouble. Would you mind leaving us alone for just a moment? Oh, not at, not at all, Sister Grace. I'm afraid I intruded. I can find my way back to the dormitory. I'm really very capable. I appreciate this. I can pay. I can pay any, anything you ask. What is it you've done, Mr. Nile? It's, it's what I haven't done. A very dangerous guy in Chicago has me over a barrel. I owe him a lot of money, so he sent me out here to kill Simon Adler. And if I don't do it or mess it up, he'll have me killed. Then it was you. No, was... it wasn't me. It was either an accident or someone else got him first. But the point is, the police are looking for a suspect now, and Corio's afraid they'll catch me and connect me Corio, with... Corio, the... the man in Chicago? Yeah, 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 that's right. One of his gunmen is driving around looking for me right now. I just jumped out of the car and I ran in here. You're my last hope. I see. Very well, Mr. Nile. You may remain in the dormitory downstairs until it is safe for you. I want to thank you. And I'll make a nice donation. Whatever your heart tells you to do, Mr. Nile. Right now, all I want is for it to keep on beating. The hall is lit by two bare bulbs, and down at the other end is a stairway to the basement. Down in the dormitory, it's even darker. And evidently, there are several guests who have already retired. I pick my way between the cots when all of a sudden, something hits me on the back of the head and I take a nosedive under the bare springs of an iron cot. And then I'm on my back with someone pressing something across my windpipe and I realize what's in his hands is a cane. 
Sylvester, what are you doing? You want to kill me? That's right, Harry. That's just exactly what I want. Why? Why, Sylvester? Because you tried to kill me, Harry. All right, hold it. And a light bulb goes on in the ceiling and Sylvester leaps away from me. In the doorway is Corio's man, a big purple bruise on his forehead and a gun in each hand. I don't know what you want with him, old man, but move aside. Harry is all mine. And then I get a good look at Sylvester. The dark glasses are gone. He's no more blind than I am. And the straggly beard is half torn off, too. And that's when the puzzle finally falls together. Get out, Mr. Niles. Listen to me. We've got some business to finish. Listen, you know who this guy is, really? What do I care who he is? I'll show you who he is. Get your hands off me. Out! Look at this fake beard. Get away from me. Fake eyebrows. Come on over and have a good look. Who is it? I've seen it before. Sure you have. They ran his picture in all the papers yesterday. It's Simon Adler. It can't be. Tell us how it can be, Mr. Adler. Neither one of you punks is going to walk out of here. Carl will be here any second. Oh, you'll enjoy meeting Carl, buddy boy. You're both in the same business. I wonder which one of you shoots the fastest. All right, hold it, Niall. Well, speak of the devil. And you drop those guns. Are you kidding? Carl... Well, I guess that answers my question. You're a real Ralston straight shooter. Now, what do we do with him? Adler? Well, you can't kill him. He's already officially dead. I even went to your funeral, Adler. Who drove me to do it, you punk? I got word Corio was sending you out here to kill me. So you decided to play dead and throw me off. And it worked, too, right up to a minute ago when you laid me out with your cane. Why'd you do that? I thought you were coming down to get me. I figured you knew who I was. No, you really fooled me. You all did. Especially your grieving daughter. Daughter? <laughs> Mana's not my daughter. Oh. Listen, Niall, what do we do? Do I have to do all your thinking for you? You call up Corio and you tell him you finished me off. Then I'll be free to become someone else, like Sylvester here. What? Or do you want to be standing here with a smoking gun when the cops arrive? What? Run, run, you idiot. He's giving you a bike. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, my gun, please? Uh, here, take it. Catch. Now, which way out of here? Well, that's luck. He shot Carl with his own gun, not mine. Uh, can I help you get your beard back on, Sylvester? Oh, and here are your dark glasses, and here's your cane. Sorry, but I've got to run. The next day, Thursday, January 4th, 1940... I've got a one-way ticket with connections for a place in Canada where they say the fishing's great. With better than $600 left from Corio's bankroll, I figure I've got a little breathing time. And after that, well, what the heck, maybe I'll join the RCAF. Excuse me, sir. Are you Mr. Harry Sullivan? Huh? Oh, oh, yeah, that's me. You have a phone call, sir. Take it in this booth. Thanks. Uh, yeah, here you go. Here, put these uh, bags on the northbound train to Canada, eh? Take the, uh, 410 southbound to San Diego. I'll be in the lounge car. Oh, Harry. You'd do this even though I deceived you so badly. Marna, honey, as Sister Grace would say, to err is human, to forgive, divine.
back with the names of tonight's players and a scene from next week's Crisis production after this message. West for My Health featured Phil Harper as Harry Nile with Art Kahn, John Walrich, Douglas Young, Veronica, John Amendola, Pat French, Johnny Walker, and Bob Robertson. Music by David Shire. Script and direction by yours truly. This is your producer, Jim French, inviting you to be with us next week at this time when the Golden West Radio Network presents... Crisis.